leave, but we are coming around 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So it's a new year. A new year means new resolutions, new resolve. We all have some kind of commitment that we're making to start this year. Maybe it's a health thing for you in 2016. Maybe it's a a bad habit that you want to shed. Maybe it's a good habit that you want to pick up. Uh, We make New Year's resolutions because we have a vision for our life and we acknowledge that we're not there yet. Hence, the resolution. And the resolution is to get us to the place that we want to be. Well, here's the message today, just simply, if you wanted to write this down. The message today is that you cannot become the person that God wants you to be because God has a vision for your your life. In fact, he had a vision for your life before he even created you, before the world was founded. He already knew who you were and who he wanted you to be. But you cannot become the person that God wants wants you to be apart from the word of God. You cannot become the person and do the things that he wants you to do apart from the scripture, apart from the Bible. Now we have a a few uh, different groups of us in here this morning when it comes to the scripture. First we have some doubters and we're glad you're here. Uh, This is the best place to be if you're a doubter. I was talking with a young lady last weekend. She was studying to be a microbiologist so she was incredibly smart and she said I want to believe, I want to have faith in all these things but in my arena what what I want to do with my life, nobody believes. And if I walk in to the classroom or the lab and say, you know, the Bible and faith and things, she said, I'm just going to get laughed at. And she said, honestly, I have some real doubts. And I said, well, here's what I would do if I were you. I would write all of my doubts on a piece of paper, number them one through whatever. And then you're a smart person. You do research in your vocation. We'll do some research and seek out the answers. And I said, here's what's going to happen, though. You're going to research all those answers, and you may even get satisfactory answers to all of those things, and it's still not going to feel like it's enough. It's just like when you go to a river in the hill country, and everybody's jumping off the ledge and off the cliff, and it's your turn, and you get to the edge there, and... You know, everybody else was jumping in and they said, oh, it's 10 feet deep. It's 20 feet deep. You're not have anything to worry about. There's no limb under there. It's still going to be scary and it's still going to be a leap. And I said, you're going to have that choice after you do all of that research to find all that evidence. You're still going to have to have some faith because God is pleased by our faith, not just by being robots to evidence. So That's what you're going to have to do with your doubts. Some of us are also doubters, not because of evidence. We have no problem with the evidence. Just honestly, we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And we're looking for an ejection out of responsibility. So we go, oh, well, I doubt the validity of the scripture. Because by doubting the validity of the scripture, I don't have to be accountable to it. So we have some doubters. We have uh, some owners. Uh, You're an owner if you own a Bible, but you're not 100% sure where it is. You're an owner. If your Bible lives in your vehicle, you are an owner. You're like, well, at least I know where it is. Not like those other bozos. They didn't know where their Bible was. That's great. But if your Bible lives in your car, you are an owner. If your Bible has a ring on it somewhere where you set a glass a few months ago, you are an owner. If you 
uh, if your Bible is stabilizing anything in your home, a, a desk, a table, a chair, another stack of books that you're going to read in 2013, then you are an owner. We have some samplers. Uh, samplers are uh, like uh, people who cruise around Costco, one Dixie cup at a time, trying to make a full meal. You know? You're like, man, that's a lot of insight. I do this. When I go to Costco, I try to fill up so that I can save money at dinner time. Uh, samplers, they interact with the Bible, but they only interact with God's word when it overflows off of somebody else's life. So if your only interaction with the scripture has to have me involved in it, has to have somebody on this stage involved in it, then you're a sampler. If the only relationship that you have with the word of God is because your great aunt tweets out scriptures via her Instagram account because she reads truth, you're a sampler. Good for her. You're just a sampler. Being a sampler is great, though. It's better than... Nothing. Something is always better than nothing. And then there are a few of us in here, and I use the word us loosely. I'm not sure I include myself. We're feasters. You know these people. It's like my birthday was a couple of weeks ago. I guess just a week ago. I turned 35, and uh, every year in my birthday growing up, uh, I would get a Dairy Queen ice cream cake, which you're like, I didn't even know that Dairy Queen made ice cream cakes. Amanda just says it's just ice cream in the shape of a cake. And it is, and it's, it's amazing. It's got chocolate on the bottom. It's got vanilla on the top and then some icing around it. And in the middle of it all is this amazing layer of fudge. And so every year on my birthday, I would get a Dairy Queen ice cream cake. And Amanda took me out, amazing birthday party. I had a great birthday. But when it came to my actual birthday, I was like, I got to get myself a Dairy Queen ice cream cake. She doesn't really like it. I don't share with my kids because I'm that kind of dad. So... I literally went into the Dairy Queen myself, and I said, I need to pick up a, a cake. And they said, well, what kind do you want? And I'm like, I want the original one. And I described it to them in incredible detail. They said, we don't have that one ready right now, but we have one in the back. It's already made. We just need to put some icing on it. Would you like anything written on it? I was in a real dilemma there because I was the one buying the birthday cake for myself. I don't know, should I write happy birthday on it? And so I went for it, I did. I was like, write happy birthday on it. I drew the line though, I didn't put my name on it. I felt like that was a little too far. I wasn't willing to go there. And I came and got my birthday cake. I said happy birthday and then I took it home and I ate it all myself. And it was delicious. I don't even feel bad about it. I don't care what your (laughs) New Year's resolution is. Mine is to eat ice cream cake. It was good, it's my birthday. I'll be back at that Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen's dying, we need to pray for it. Really, it is. And I don't know what will happen if I can't get an ice cream cake on my birthday, but it's so good. And I sat there and ate the whole thing. Maybe ice cream cake's not your thing. Maybe it's Shipley's Donuts and you don't order in the bag. You have to order in the huge box and it's just for you because you can't eat six. You got to eat seven. You got to eat eight because they're so good. Maybe it's a big steak. It's never chicken. It's never chicken. No one ever craves chicken. Here's my theory on chicken. You can cook chicken at just the right temperature or you can bake that thing all day long. It tastes exactly the same. It doesn't matter. You cannot burn chicken. It tastes the same. Right? It's never chicken, but it's always something good that you just can't have one of. You've got to have a bunch of it. And we bump into people like this who have this relationship with the Scripture. When you bump into them, 
Like the Bible comes out. And not in a weird self-righteous way. It just leaks out of them. And you catch them. You know, you, you walk in and you catch your wife reading the scripture. And you feel bad. But there she is. You come in and you're in, being encouraged by somebody, which hopefully we all do. Hopefully we all encourage one another on Sunday. But when these people encourage, they're actually talking about the stuff that's in here. They're feasters. And what I want to say in 2016 is, could we just take one step? Maybe it's not realistic for you right now to move from being just an owner to a feaster, but could you be an owner to a sampler this year? Could you be a doubter to, uh, at least I'm going to pick one up and I'm going to have one in my home. Maybe you're a sampler. Maybe you've just been getting scripture a little bit at a time as it comes off of somebody else's life. But maybe you could pull up a seat to the table yourself. And if you've already been a feaster, that's the great thing about God's word is it's so simple that our children can come around it today. But there is wonder upon wonder in here. And you can give your life to studying and you won't find the bottom. So that's who's here. This is what 2 Timothy Chapter 3, which is a mountain of a verse in the scripture that actually talks about the scripture. The context is the Apostle Paul is in prison, and more than in prison, he's on death row. He knows that he's not going to live very much longer, and he's writing this letter, which he believes is going to be his final letter to Timothy. These are his last words to Timothy Timothy was more than just a buddy, more than just a ministry friend. It was literally when Paul looked at the fruit of his ministry, he said, I don't have a family. I you know, blew past wife and kids. I didn't do all that in the name of serving Jesus. But who are my children? Timothy was at the top of that list, just loved him heart and soul. And he's telling Timothy everything that he wants to say. Now, he hopes Timothy will come and see him one last time. But just in case, he's writing it all down. And around the verse that we're going to read today, he's actually been telling Timothy about persecution. That Paul has been persecuted. That Timothy should expect to be persecuted. In fact, he says to all of us today, anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So all that to say, the stakes are high around this verse that we're reading today. Verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now you may say, well, hold on just a second. A couple of things. First of all, I'm not a man, so I don't know that I'm, I'm in this verse. Well, Paul is writing to a man. Timothy. So it doesn't make sense to go gender neutral there. He, he says to the man of God, and you may think, well, okay, but man of God seems like a title that should be given to you. You're, you know, you're a pastor or somebody else that is more holy or just more significant or does more stuff. But here's the great thing. In the Old Testament, uh, the man of God was a person that God had set aside for responsibility and then poured out his favor on. But Jesus blew that wide open. Jesus, in fact, says, you're a co-heir with me. That's what Romans tells us. So essentially, all that is Jesus is we get a share in. And Jesus is definitely the man of God, set apart for the highest calling. All of God's favor, 
on him. And Jesus says, come and share that with me. So if you are a follower of Jesus today, if you've linked your life up to the life of Jesus, then you have been set aside for some significant kingdom responsibility and you have all of the favor of God that you could ever want. You're like, well, I don't, I'm not great. It doesn't matter. You're linked up with Jesus and Jesus is great. Like, I'm not perfect. doesn't matter. You're linked up to Jesus and Jesus is perfect and he invites you into all that is his. So you can see yourself in the scripture. Man of God, woman of God today, equipped, complete, that's our word, complete, equipped for every good work. There is no kingdom work that you can't be qualified for. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that God prepared good works for you before the foundation of the world. So he had a to-do list for you before you were even a gleam in your ancestor's eye. He already had responsibility and you are qualified for that responsibility. You know, a lot of us say, well, I'm just not good at that thing. I, I just, God's not gifted me that way. He's not wired me up. And some of that may be true. The greater reality is that you can be qualified for any work that God would call you into. You can be qualified to minister to every single person that you would meet. God is at work in everyone's life that you bump into. And you, through the word of God, can become complete and completely equipped to minister to that person. So the next time we give a good, big push to, uh, to, to get more volunteers to come around and deposit the word of God into our kids, nobody in here should go, well, that's not really my thing. Because if you're in the word, you can be great at it. You're like, well, I don't really want to be great at it. Well, that's a different matter altogether. But you can be great at it. Well, I'm not really great at sharing my faith with people. I'm not really, I don't, vocalizing it is hard for me. It may be hard for you, but you can be great at it. Because the word of God is shaping us into the kind of person that God wants us to be. Verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God. In my version of the Bible, there's a little letter Right next to that, yours may have an asterisk. You go down, and what it tells us there at the bottom of the page is it means it's literally God-breathed. In fact, your translation of the Bible may just go ahead and say that. It means that God breathed out his word, and now we have it here on the page. It means it's inspired by God. It's theonoustos. And if you're even a sampler of the scripture, you're thinking, I, I know that phrase, I know God breathed. Well, you go back to the very beginning. God creates everything. He creates the sun, he creates the light, he creates the darkness, he separates the water from the dry land, he puts the plants, he puts the animals in. Essentially, he's got the whole ecosystem built, and he goes to create humanity, and what does he do? He takes the dust and he forms it into the shape of a man and breathes life into that dust. And so Paul is not using these words on accident. What he's telling us is that the word of God, the scripture, it has life-giving properties from the life giver. That it is inspired by God. He breathes life into it and we get life out of it. He breathes life into it. We breathe in life when we interact with it, which is good because most of us are just breathing in death constantly. It's what the world peddles. The world peddles death. It's what it's good at. Death and destruction. 1 John chapter 2 clarifies it so much for us when it says, The world, cravings 
of our eyes, cravings of our flesh, and the boasting of what we have and do. This breathing in death with the word of God. God breathe, life-giving, life-giving to us. So the Bible, the scripture, the word of God is not just history and advice. I think that's how most of us would describe it. If somebody said, I don't know what the scripture is, tell me about it. We'd probably stumble around and then we'd go, well, it's got a lot of history in it. In fact, that's what most of it is, just a bunch of history. And then kind of after the history, then there's like this advice part. And then right at the tail end, some crazy stuff about how the world's going to blow up. That's my summary of the Bible. But it's not just history and advice and a scary future. It is God-breathed, inspired. It's something different. It is the authority that comes from God. See, God created everything. I love what Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. And because he created everything... He says these powerful words in chapter 46. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. Now that's a pretty radical statement. You got to be somebody to be able to back up that sentence. I will do all my will. In fact, I want you to try it right now. I want you to think about what all your will is just for the rest of the day. Just think about it. And how long do you think that will will last and stand? I mean, think right now, what is your will for lunch? Like some of you are thinking, well, I kind of want Mexican food. That's what's stirring around in me in Jesus' name. Some of you are like, no, we had Mexican food yesterday. We got to hit up the Italians today. That's where we got to go. Somebody's thinking cheeseburger. Somebody in here is like, no way, it's 2016, baby. Fresh year, fresh budget. We're not going to eat, uh, out to eat. We're going home. We're eating the leftovers of the leftovers and water. That's what we're going to have. We're going to have water. We're going to have breadcrumbs and crunchy ice. That's all you need to fill up your tummy. Those three things. That's what we're having. I don't know what her will is. It better not be out to eat because budget. That's the, that's the name of, that's the word for the year is budget. How long's your will going to last? I bet for most of you men, your will's not going to last to the parking lot. I can do all of my plans. No, we can't. But God can. He can. All of his will comes to pass. I will do all my will. He has all the authority. And then what do we see in Matthew chapter 28? Jesus has been resurrected and is on the mountaintop getting ready to ascend. And what are some of his final words? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So God had all the authority, and he delegated it to Jesus. And when Jesus spoke, he spoke as one with authority. And he believed that when he spoke, he was speaking the word of God. And then he anoints these apostles, and he sends them out so that they will speak the word of God. So that what they write from the eyewitness testimony will also be scripture. So that when we have the Bible in our hands, we don't have this this weird other thing. Like there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. But then there's the Bible that kind of floats out here and we're supposed to obey it. But I don't know exactly how it's connected. Listen, what gives the Bible authority, what gives the scripture authority is the authority of Jesus. The scripture is the authority of Jesus expressed through the written word. 
So to obey the scripture is to obey Jesus. And to disobey the scripture is to disobey Jesus. Because it's God-breathed, inspired by God. And then look what it's profitable for. It proves useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. It's profitable. It's useful for, for teaching. And it specifically teaches us the story of God's salvation. See, the, the scripture is just one long arc. And within that one long arc are 66 books written by over 40 authors, a span of a thousand years, with a lot of diversity, but that diversity comes together in unity to tell one story. And the Word of God tells us the story of how God is saving the world. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking. It's probably not our favorite word as we start 2016. Just try it on this week, you know, hey, I'm going to send you an email of rebuke this week. I mean, it just, it just seems offensive, doesn't it? Just reject everything about the word rebuke. But rebuke is necessary. Rebuking is necessary. It means confronting, which is another thing that we hate. We hate to be confronted. I remember a couple of years ago, Jackson and I had road tripped out to uh, Los Angeles. We went to the Grand Canyon and and then we stayed at some motels along Route 66, had a great time. We spent a few days in L.A., and, and we were leaving, headed back to Texas. And, and we were somewhere in between the suburbs of Los Angeles and Palm Springs, kind of in that desert there. And, and uh, I'm on the phone with Amanda. She had called. We hadn't really connected. She had actually been out of town. We were out of town. <clears throat> and so she's on the phone, and we're actually having a pretty serious conversation, not with one another, but about some things that were going to change our lives for a little while, and, and so it's serious, and in the middle of the seriousness, I look in the rearview mirror, and I can hear, you know, and uh, so, which is awful, men, because, you know, it's normal to get pulled over, but the way I would have liked for that to go down is, when I got back home, we had an amazing time, your son and I, flesh of our flesh, man. We just, the Grand Canyon was so unbelievable. We played out in Los Angeles. It was so, I mean, we're going to have lifelong memories. By the way, I got a ticket. You should have seen the Grand Canyon. (laughs) That's the way I would have liked to present it. But I'm on the phone with her when I'm getting pulled over. And so I say, literally, I have to go. I'm going to get a ticket right now. And and so, um, so I pull over and here he comes. And uh, thankfully he was bald. So I thought, well, maybe we're going to have like a band of brothers moment here. (laughs) Because it's hard. It's hard to be bald and devastatingly handsome. Not very many people can pull it off. I'm obviously pulling it off. He's pulling it off. I thought we would share a moment, but it was clear he, the only moment he was interested in was a confrontation moment. And so he comes to the window, and I'm puzzled, sort of, about what has happened. And uh, he says, you, you know, you were going pretty fast. And I was like, honestly, sir... I was just going with the flow of traffic, and I was trying to say, like, I wasn't paying attention without saying I wasn't paying attention, because that's not what you want to tell the police when you're driving in their state, and, uh, and so I was going with the flow of traffic, and he's like, you were, in fact, you were going with the flow so much that you just passed me like I was standing still, and I was going 70, and I'm like, well, 
You know, what do you say? You know, you don't want to say guilty because he hadn't got his little notepad out yet. I'm thinking maybe there's a chance for me, but I also don't want to say not guilty because I was definitely guilty. And he said, the reason you didn't pay attention is because you were on your phone. Now, California has this law that you're not allowed uh, to hold your phone up. You know, you have to have a hands-free device. And I was doing that. So I was like, I was. And he was like, yeah, but you had your phone in your hand. And I looked down and sure enough, my phone was in my hand. And so he leaves and he comes back and we did have a Band of Brothers moment because he didn't write me a ticket and he gave me a lot of grace and, and I went on. But even though I got away with it, I still felt bad because I don't like to be confronted. I don't like to be in trouble. I don't like to be rebuked. Nobody does. Nobody does. And here's the good news today. The scripture, the word of God, it flashes the sirens and pulls us over. It confronts us. It does. But if you will let the word confront you, no one else will have to confront you. Now, I think that deserves more of an amen. (laughs) We'll all acknowledge, I don't like when I get an email, but somebody starts out by saying, you are so great. I love everything about you. But, and then the rest of the email is all about where I dropped the ball, what I said, what I didn't say, what I did, what I didn't do. I hate that. You hate that too. And the great thing is, is if we will just obey the scripture, you'll never have to be confronted again. If we'll let it confront us, it eliminates the rest of the confrontation. You may be like, well, that's, that's a little bit harsh. And it is, but here's, here's the realities today. You're going to be confronted. You just are. Uh, the secrets that you have, they're going to be found out. The little thing that you're doing right now, it's, it's going to come out in the light. It just says you got two options. Option number one is that you can be confronted today by the word of God, through the people of God, the community of God, and you can change by the power of the Holy Spirit You can get your rear in gear and finally do the stuff you've been talking about. You can change. Uh, Or you can ignore the confrontation today and you can take your chance and you're going to be confronted with the consequences. Confrontation is going to happen. You can either be confronted with the truth or you can be confronted with the consequences. Uh, Some of us right now, uh, we're clicking through too many links on the internet. You didn't mean to start out down that road. You, just, you didn't. In fact, it found you. It was a few glances here and there, and now you're kind of going out of your way to make it happen. Two options today for you. Option number one is you can hear me tell your story, and you can go, okay, I need to change. And uh, through the power of the Spirit, I'm going to. Or you can keep walking down the road that you're walking down, and your house is going to burn down, and your family's going to burn down. You're going to be confronted one way or the other. You might as well take the easy way. Somebody in here right now, in fact, I would guess more than one somebody, you're in the middle of a dangerous relationship. It started out real innocently. You were having a terrible day. And that person just said, I'm sorry. That stinks. 
I would never do what he slash she did. And they just touched your arm a little bit. And when they did, your heart raced for the first time in a long time. And part of you was like, oh, wow. And the other part of you was like, oh, wow. And now since then, you've just been trying to inch your way over there a little bit more. And you're still saying, I love my spouse, and they love their spouse, but you find yourself inching a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer. you got two options today. Option number one is you can hear God telling your story out loud right now and go, oh, crap. Um, I don't think you're allowed to say crap in church, but (laughs) that's my story. That's what's happening to me right now. You can be confronted with the truth, and you can change, and you can pull it together, and you can get out of this situation, or you could just go, no way. I'm going to walk the fine line. I'm going to walk the fine line of faithfulness to my family and getting the thrill that I so desperately need. Will you try to walk that fine line, and where that fine line is going to lead you is to a place of destruction, and everybody's going to know your consequences. You're going to be confronted. And when that confrontation comes because of the consequences that you've sown, the whole world's going to know. Let's bring it down to a level that's a little bit more relevant to most of us, I would guess. We all talk about our friends. We all talk about people we love. We just all do it. I don't know why we do it. We just do it. We get together. We talk about other people. It's amazing. Two things are going to happen. You're going to be, oh my gosh, I need to quit that. I stop. I'm through the power of the Holy Spirit confronted with the truth. Or that person is going to find out. You're like, no, that person's not going to find out because the person I told that to said, hey, don't tell anybody. Which is just a worthless statement in all sentences. It's just like a sentence that shouldn't even exist. Hey, don't tell anybody. That's like just motivation to tell as many people as possible. That's the way we take it. Two options. We can be confronted with the truth or we'll be confronted with the consequences and you're going to get an email that says, hey, I love you so much. You're so wonderful. I like everything about you, but dot, dot, dot. I heard that you said blah, 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 and you're going to be confronted and you're going to hate that. So why not be confronted by the truth instead of being confronted with the consequence? And you're like, man, that seems so harsh. Why does there have to be any confrontation? Well, Psalm 107, verse 20, it says that God sent his word and healed them, and he rescued them from the pit. God's word heals and rescues. So let it confront you, because it's a confrontation of healing, and it's a confrontation of rescue. Because we can't be the people that God wants us to be. We can't even be the people that we want to be as long as we are the people that we are right now. And we won't ever be more than the people we are right now until we're confronted by the truth. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The Apostle Paul mentions, well, I skipped uh, correcting. Teaching, rebuking, correcting. Correcting is a picture of setting a broken bone. The scripture comes in in our confusing and complicated and cloudy culture and says this is the straight way. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. We see this happen with Jesus where the word of God laid out the right way. 
Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has just been baptized. And it was a big, huge moment. John the Baptist recognized that Jesus was unique and special. I don't know what happened at your baptism, but at Jesus' baptism, the heavens opened up and God spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, in Him I'm well pleased. And then Jesus, verse 1 of chapter 4, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So for those of us who are like, man, 2016 has started so amazing and the voice of God is just so in my ear all the time and this, I'm just having this so much momentum of faith right now. That doesn't mean that you don't immediately go straight into the desert. It doesn't mean that you get to opt out of temptation. It was the opposite. Jesus had this huge moment where his Father from heaven audibly spoke and the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and anointed him for the ministry he was getting ready to take on and immediately right turns into the wilderness to be tempted and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry so Jesus doesn't eat anything for 40 days 40 nights and he was hungry which is great news because Jesus doesn't you know he's not some kind of supernatural I don't have to deal with the same stuff that you have to deal with I get to do it a different way. No, you get hungry, he gets hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But he answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So picture it, Jesus, pale, gaunt, tired, lonely, and hungry. 40 days without food. I'm hungry now, and it's just been like 30 minutes since I last put something in my mouth. You're mad because we were normally out by this time, and Ryan just joined me up here in the front, so who knows how many minutes we got left. (laughs) 40 days, he goes without food. He's hungry, and Satan comes and says, you're the son of God. If you're hungry... Don't be hungry. Take these rocks and turn them into bread. And what does Jesus say? He actually quotes the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, the word of God reframed need. Oh, Satan, you think that I need food? What I need is the word. I mean, think about your life in 2016. What are you going to need more than you need food? You need the TV more than you need food. You need... I think water is about the only thing that we could say. And I think water is included in the spirit of what we're talking about here. It reframes need and it says this is the straight way. This is the correct way. That's what the word does for us reframes things and it shows us the path that God wants us to take, corrects us, then it trains us in righteousness. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul, he mentions two groups of people who needed training. 
chapter two, verse three, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers need training to please the recruiter. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in concerns of everyday life. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Athletes need training. And Paul references and sees himself as a soldier and athlete. Look what he says in chapter four, verse six. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Good fight, soldier. Finish the race, athlete. These two groups, they need training. And what's the training in chapter two when he first mentions them? Share in suffering. Because that's what training is. Training is suffering. It's I'm gonna suffer so that I can suffer some more. That's what jogging is. going to run for 10 minutes in pain so that next week I can run for 15 minutes in pain so that then two months from now I can run for 30 minutes in pain so that one day I can spend three hours in pain and run 24 point whatever miles and put the bumper sticker on there to let everybody know that I can endure that much pain that's all that jogging is training is suffering so that we have the capacity to suffer more. And Paul is completely locked into that. I mean, let's rewind. He's been persecuted. He's in prison on death row. And he said, I've kept the faith. some serious training in righteousness. Suffering so that I have the capacity to suffer more. See, the word of God is our anchor when the storm arrives. When the wind and wave begin to beat on you. If you have not trained in the word, you have no anchor to tether you to the faith. And what happens is some of you grabbed a Bible today and it's the first time that you've grabbed a Bible in years because something bad happened to you. Somebody disappointed you. An opportunity went to somebody else and didn't go to you and your prayer request didn't get answered. And two years later, here you are because the storm came and it blew you way off course. It just took you wherever the storm wanted to take you. But for those who have been trained in righteousness, for those who have been anchored in the word of God, the storm comes and they stay. The wind blows and they stay. And they say crazy things like, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. You ever met these people? They're burying people and at the funeral they're singing genuine praise and gratitude to God who does that somebody who's been trained in righteousness who loses their job in this economy and says I don't know what's going to happen and that's really awful and I don't know the future but man bless God I made it today I paid the last bill that came in Who says those things? Somebody who's been trained in righteousness through the sacred scripture. But the people who are like, 
I'm an owner. I'm a sampler. Job loss comes. And we go, where'd they go? Man, I haven't seen them running around in months. Because there's nothing to tether you to the faith. So what do we do? This is what Paul tells Timothy. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing those from whom you learned and that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Continue on. Hold on, keep on. Say that with me. Hold on, keep on. 2016, hold on. Hold it. Sleep with it. Take it to work. Put it in your car. Put another one in your car. Set it by where you brush your teeth. Write it on the mirror. Tattoo it on you with your parents' permission. Instagram it. Tweet it. Email it. Eat it. Hold on. Keep on. Week before Christmas, Amanda says, I'm going to take uh, Annabeth and Willa. We're going to have a girls' baking night at my mom's house. So it'll just be you and Jackson. And somehow Jackson got the idea that we should do a guys' night. It's great. So in the middle of the afternoon, he comes in, and I'm not paying attention. I should be a better dad. I'm not paying attention. And he said, Dad, we're going to do a guys' night tonight, right? And I said, okay. But I wasn't even thinking. It just like came out of my mouth. And so every five minutes for the next four hours, Dad, where are we going? When are we going? I'm like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Okay. Dad, where, where are we going? When are we going? I'm like, I don't know. We're going to go when your mom leaves. That's when we're going. When's she leaving? Go ask her when she's leaving. She's leaving in three hours. Well, in three hours, we're going to leave. Dad, 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 where, when? So three hours later, I find myself at It's. It's is like when Chuck E. Cheese grows up, it gets more expensive. There I am. Got a big ball that he won. Spent who knows godless amounts of money. You know why? Because I made a promise and Jackson took me up on it. You got a promise in 2016. And the promise is you can become the kind of person that God wants you to be. So take him up on the promise. Your life's a wreck right now. Your life's a mess. You're the prodigal that's just now coming to the senses and going, what have I done? You got a promise, and the promise is you can be completely the person that God wants you to be. If you hold on, keep on in the Word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we receive your authority through the Word today. And we do, man. We want to hold on and we want to keep on truth. 
So whatever needs to happen today, whether it's teaching us or even confronting us as uncomfortable as that is, correcting us or just training us today, we want whatever you have for us. Make us the people that you've always dreamed that we would be. That's our New Year's resolution, is just to be whoever you want us to be. So show us that and shape us through your word. We receive it now totally in Jesus' name.